0: Hello, this is Steven Sprague, and welcome to Crypto Grill. Uh, I am CEO of Rivet Corp.
1: Okay, everyone, let's crypto and grill. It's Crypto. Dan says here again. It's been a while since we last spoke to you, but I'm joined yet again by my able compatriot, Mr. Stig of the pump. Stig, how are you?
2: How do people know that it's been a while?
1: This is very good. We time, should, time we, stops. Recording
2: these back to back.
1: Yeah, you raised some very um, deep questions about time, um, and um, let's not get into that. Let's save the physics and time conversations for another day. But, um, but I'm how good. are you? I'm you, good. To you, you answer well?
2: your question. I'm good.
1: And for those of you that don't know, Stig is actually getting married very soon. So um, he's uh, full in the middle of uh, fully in the middle of Wedman, Um Thanks for calling that out, mate. You're welcome. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> but we are excited to be here. So let's just recap on on some of the things that we've uh, we've done over the last few months and uh, and the journey we've taken you on. So we started on uh, on Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, the crypto space. Um, what is a, di- a a distributed ledger? Um, what is uh, cryptocurrency? And we've we've gone all the way through the the basics and um, had some really strong conversations um, with people about the value of Bitcoin and the value of the crypto space what we said at the beginning of the series that we wanted to do is explore more about the companies involved and the innovations that are coming out the, the decentralized business models the technology and the innovations that are um, that are helping to um, to move the space forward so uh, we have Really glad to have uh, a guest today um, who is going to help us understand a bit more in depth about the security space, um, which will hopefully add on to the other session that we've had uh, regarding security um, right at the beginning. So uh, without further ado, Stephen Sprague, um, say hello.
0: Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: And correct me if I'm uh, wrong, you said you're in a parking garage in, uh, in New York right now. <laughs>
0: Exactly. This is crypto. It, it happens from everywhere.
1: <laughs> it's, a t- it's, a t- it's a tough bear market, isn't it? It's been really yeah, hard man. on everyone.
0: <laughs> I've, I've, I'm sorry, I'm we're with moving from fancy conference rooms to parking garages, but it's quiet, which is the challenge in New York is to find a quiet spot
1: excellent well as long as you're not just selling all the office furniture in that uh that tv show um garage wars or something like that
0: uh, and
1: <laughs> and you're still going then that's fine but um look thank you for joining us um we uh it'd be really good to um hear a bit more about yourself and uh, and the company just uh, that you're uh, rivets that you're um leading at the moment and uh, and your role there and we'll go from there we've got quite um a stacked agenda and set of questions sure. for you so yeah intro to yourself and rivets would be Fantastic, to kick us off.
0: Yeah, so I'm, uh, I come from over 20 years in the trusted computing space, and trusted computing is how we've built hardware into devices to protect keys and transactions. Um, my original portion of my career was focused on the PC space, and I started Rivets in 2013 to focus on the emerging capabilities in mobile. Um, So Rivets builds software uh, that enables the embedded hardware that's already in your phone. So today, there are over a billion and a half Android phones that could support a hardware blockchain wallet or crypto wallet for all different purposes um, with the security actually protected by the chipsets of your handset. These are the same technologies that protect Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, what Samsung's done with their Knox strategy. And so it provides a very strong isolated execution and protection of keys within your device. And so Rivets is focused on enabling that, enabling third party applications to have access to it and also building some of the core applications around um, a wallet, uh, two factor authentication messaging that we think are some of the basic services that people will wanna use and explore.
1: Okay, excellent. And um, I love the fact that you're talking about all of this as we, can hear a car crash unfolding uh behind us so as long as as long as you don't get hit by some kind of uh, reversing lorry then that's great but um uh so um so so one of the things that we haven't really gone into in in detail is um let's just sort of if we just wind it back um you know 2FA, um, blockchain security, all these, these different things, they may be um, slightly confusing to some of the listeners. Um, not everybody will be up to the same, um, same standard and, and level of uh, understanding of uh, technology and security um, as others. So if you could help us just understand the more of the basics, what is two-factor authentication? Why is it important? And, sure. uh, and, and why should people care about it?
0: I mean, we can start at the very foundation. We all shop every day. And so today, we all know that we've been going from magnetic stripe cards to chip cards over the last 10 years. And the difference there is software security versus hardware security. A magnetic stripe card can be copied. And when it's copied, people can go to a gas station and buy gas with your card, etc. Now that they've given us a chip card, the keys in the chip card are in tamper-resistant hardware, and so the keys can't be stolen. There's actually a cryptographic challenge response that takes place with the key in your chip card. But then we also know that if we go and shop on the high street, we put the card into a device, it displays the amount we're going to be charged. And so we see what we're going to sign. And then um, if you're not an American, because we use chip and signature and no one checks the signature, typically you have chip and PIN and you type in your PIN number and that collects user consent. And so when you do a transaction in e-commerce, we'd like all of those same pieces, keys protected in hardware, what you see is what you sign, so you get proper understanding of the transaction being done, and proper collection of user consent. That's been missing in e-commerce for 30 years. With blockchain, we don't have the luxury of continuous monitoring and voyeurism as a mechanism to protect us which is how Visa and MasterCard and others have been doing it now for a number of years. And so we have to move to a model where the consumer is going to be responsible for the protection of their keys and their transactions. And that's just going to become part of what blockchain really
1: is. Okay, so we're kind of, so you're, it sounds like what you're saying is we're, not living in a nanny state, but effectively we are giving our trust to those third party companies, the likes of Visa, MasterCard, Amex, others, um, that security. And it sounds like that's coming back to the user now. how does that then affect the consumer uh, in terms of are, are they aware of that? Are they are consumers even willing to take the risk of that? Because you know many people just want to know that their money is where it is. They can spend it on a on a card, and if something goes wrong or it's stolen, uh, then they can get it back, and there's there's recourse there. Um, do you think that's a, a barrier and a hurdle a hurdle for the for the industry that we need to get through?
0: Yes, for commerce, for sure. But what we're also learning is that the world has given us hundreds of keys, right? They're giving us keys to log on to Facebook and keys to log on to Slack and keys to log on to Telegram, and now keys for our hotel rooms and keys for our cars. And, And so we are going to have to become more capable of protecting all the services that we have relationships to. And so we think blockchain is a catalyst that's going to help us in, in, as consumers in learning how to manage this new model where my device participates in the protection of all the services I belong
2: to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've often said that um, if you don't own your keys, you don't own your coins when relating to crypto and blockchain previously. I guess the question that I've got is for, for so many people handing back that level of responsibility is actually going to be so massive and with all the interfaces in this space being relatively complex, how is this? How are we actually going to create a proposition that uh, the majority of consumers can can utilise?
0: Well, I think it's something we all have to do. Uh, this is going to be the huge transition in the marketplace of a shift from a world where we log into a network and the network delivers us all the services, to a world where we're the consumers in the centre. And it's connected to a very broad array of services. Now we've done it really well in the form of things like carriers, where you go get your mobile phone, we register a SIM chip in your phone to the carrier and your phone just works every day, right? It's fantastic. You just dial the phone number and push send and all the authentication is invisible and magic. Mm. The same is true for your cable box where you log into your cable box if you have parental access control turned on. Most people don't even log into it. And you can just change channels and it knows whether you've paid for the channel or not. And so leveraging the device to simplify this model, Mm -hmm. what consumers fundamentally know is that if I take your device, you notice. However, if I were to steal your passwords, you don't know. And so so by binding it to something that's physical, we give the consumer an incredible advantage which is the ability to notice
2: if their device went missing
0: and then take an action.
2: Uh, uh, Yeah, it's interesting, it's an interesting thought because I guess my challenge is how many people are actually going to want to take on that ownership of this themselves? I know people should and everyone should. (laughs) This is what two-factor authentication is. Two-factor authentication is the registration
0: of a device to an account. And your job is to notice if your account goes missing, right? In this case, your device. That's what we're doing, is we're borrowing the only security we have, which has been our mobile phone. And it's not that the Android software is secure. We're borrowing the fact that it has an identity in it from your carrier that is quite secure. Of course, then we learned that people figured out that they can go call customer service and move your phone. Okay. So if we
1: think about the current... Um, user experience then for two-factor authentication. So I said at the beginning, maybe not everyone's as, as au fay with this. Um, yeah. I know I know when I use it, it's, it's typically to log into um, an exchange or you know un, un, unlock your uh, your wallet, something like that. You type in some user credentials typically, and then you're prompted with um, what's what's called a two-factor authentication, which can be delivered by a number of different entities. Um, I think the most popular one that people are aware of at the moment is Google Authenticator. Um, and that's the sure. one that, that I've got. And you, you, you go into that, and effectively, it's a 60 second expiring code that you tap on it and it copies it. And then you go back to the app that you were trying to access and paste that code in that six digit code and then it, it opens. And you know, it does that because at some point in the past. Um, You've previously gone into your settings on that website, paired the Authenticator app on your phone to that site um, and and created some kind of link there. Um, It's quite a clunky experience. I think like you were saying there, it's, you know, you're going back from from one app to another. It's not seamless. And, you know, there's lots of different codes. And and also, I think one of the things that we wanted to pick up later is, um, you know, what happens if you lose the codes or your phone? How do you recover all of that stuff? So, right. With this user experience that we've got at the minute that's a bit clunky it's probably akin to you know the 90s internet experience what's the future going to look like and how does um perhaps rivets have a solution for that
0: yeah so so today we participate in replacing your google authenticator with one where the keys instead of being held in the software of the operating system where they can be stolen we move those keys into the tamper resistant hardware of your device where They're enormously more resistant to being copied. Now, what's interesting is, what do we really want? So if I asked you, would you buy a new phone where every time you dial the phone numbers, you wait for a second factor code, type in your second factor code, and it completes the phone call, you would say, oh, my God, no, I would never use such a phone. But that's how we use the internet. You see, with a phone, we embedded the security into the service many, many years ago, back in the 1990s. And so today, you just dial the phone number and push send. The keys that were that registration process initially are held in the SIM chip in your phone in hardware. And so the security is built in, and therefore the security is invisible. And because the security is strong, it also increases the value of the relationship with the user and potentially the value of the services delivered. And so what's the future? The future is you want security built into the applications. So we want keys in everything. And so the challenge has always been, how are we going to manage all those keys? Because we certainly can build billions of devices that hold keys. And along came blockchain, and I think provides the framework for how all global services will manage their relationship with the subscriber and manage all their keys, including the individual user.
2: Interesting, so so I think this is a really good segue for you to, to potentially talk us through then how uh, how the rivet solution is constructed and sort of how you came about that as a solution and sort of what your first initial steps were to launching it
0: yeah, so our so our first goal was to to sort of um, demystify the technology, and so what we've done is we've built a developer set of tools that any Android app developer can include to have strong authentication embedded in their app. Think of it as an industrial strength remember me button. So once I click remember me, it actually binds the hardware of my device to that service. Okay. And so now only that device can connect. And in addition, what we've done is we've created a token. So we, we participated in the whole ICO process, et cetera, But the purpose of our token is to give your device a store of value that would allow the device to um, um, pay for individual services on a microtransaction basis. Kind of like you and and think of it a little bit differently than you're used to. Think of it as automatic money. You want a device where you can give it just a few dollars, five or ten dollars in value so that when it when it wants to spend two cents it can just automatically spend it because the owner has basically said on these services, you're allowed to spend money. And, and that way that automated money becomes a much easier mechanism for moving forward. Cause you don't have to ask the customer every time. Do you want to spend a penny dad? Do you want to spend a penny? Can I have another penny? Yeah. Right? Think of it as an allowance for your device. So there's, so there's two sort of questions
1: I've got from there then. So I think the automated um, point is interesting, but also let's say, aren't you almost going against the whole point of 2FA by doing this? Because if someone steals your device, takes your phone, and it's all automated and, uh, and synced into the device and you've lost that device, isn't that user then exposed to whoever has the device effectively taking ownership of the keys and, and, and being able to spend um, carelessly uh, and do whatever they want with that device? Because it's already and,
0: approved. Certainly. And so the most important thing is that consumers are become almost instantly aware that they've lost a device. And so what we provide is a mechanism to lock the keys that is very simple to operate, it can be as simple as calling your carrier and say, lock my phone, or even SMSing something and locking your phone. But you're not deleting the keys at that point because the keys are held in tamper-resistant hardware. And so if you discover that you left your, you know, your phone in the couch, as opposed to actually losing it, yeah. um, You can be quite promiscuous with the lock function. You won't be as promiscuous with a wipe function, right? Because wiping is annoying. Like you're like, oh, I lost my phone on the couch and I just wiped it. That's a pain, (laughs) right? Now I got to spend all Saturday afternoon rebuilding my phone. And so we think backup and recovery And recovery, of course, becomes the socially engineered component of this puzzle. If you make it easy to lock, then then I just have to figure out how to socially engineer recovery. And so we believe recovery is that your collection of devices is your identity, not your single super phone. So supporting your PC, your phone, your tablet, your television, your mother's phone, as part of the recovery mechanism, we think provides a very effective model. So maybe it requires two or three of your devices to confirm, yeah.
2: and then you can recover your handset and carry on. So what, so what then is the recovery process if you do lose a phone? And how do, you then, how do you stop against universally someone getting into your phone and getting access to all of that?
0: So there's sort of two, there are two ways to think of the challenge. The first challenge is, what happens if someone just picks up my phone? What protects me from having my keys being used? Um, or my service is being consumed. And that protection is the same as we have today. Um, Unlocking your phone with a pin or a biometric. And you can clearly bind into specific services that if you're doing a higher dollar value transaction, that you might require a pin or a biometric unlock as well. So maybe checking the balance in your bank account requires no additional authentication than unlock your phone. But um, sending $100 to somebody, you might decide requires a PIN number or biometric to confirm. Then you have a second problem, which is I've physically lost my phone. And, and so there are two steps there. One is can I lock it, which is a relatively straightforward operation, and, and we will provide a variety of different mechanisms. I don't think there's any one clean answer. Um, there should be automated ways, like today we have the idea of policies with keys which says that certain keys can only be used if, for example, I'm at my house. And so we can geo those keys. And so if my phone is stolen somewhere else, they have to physically go to my house in order to use my keys. And we think those are great automated mechanisms, as well as you can reach out, and we have a partnership with um, Telefonica, where we're integrating both the trusted execution in the handset and the SIM, so you can reach out to your carrier and say, turn off my phone. And at that point, it will turn off the keys that are in the handset as well. Okay. So, so there's simple mechanisms to shut it off. And then the, obviously the third step is I physically lost my phone. I dropped it in the ocean. How do I make my – you know, I go buy a new phone. How do I recover all the services to which I belong? And so we think backup and recovery is a very, very important piece of this puzzle so that we never lose our keys.
1: Okay. That's really helpful. Thank you. And um, I think yeah, I wanted to come on to the Telefonica partnership shortly. Um, so th- th- there was a sort of second angle to the question that I had as well, was which was relating to what you mentioned about those automated payments. Um, if so, let's let's assume that we've fast forwarded a couple of years. We've gone uh, maybe maybe more than that, maybe five or ten years. But we've gone through the onboarding mm-hmm. process. Crypto has um, has gone. Um, global and and mass adoption and it's a normal part of everyone's lives and actually there is an option to um, unbank yourself to remove yourself from the current system um, and Mm -hmm. um, put all of your money and your finances through um, just the bitcoin ledger or another cryptocurrency ledger and from there you can get your third-party services for micro loans mortgages um, car financing whatever you need you can get it from some kind of entity um, is yep. there a situation there with rivets then that you said you said you can automate your um or, or ask for approval for certain value transactions can you divide those into things like regular transactions where you've got your utility bills um, going out from from your crypto uh, distributed ledger um and your your rent or your mortgage payments but then on a day-to-day basis for buying coffee or, or whatever you need day to-day your limit for spend is is thirty dollars so can you have a two-tiered system where there's a direct debit going out and then a daily purchases
0: yes yes but where rivets is focused is let's talk about your internet money so I'm gonna send you an article from the New York Times you don't have a subscription can you spend two cents to read it No, it's too annoying you're not gonna fill out a credit card detail make an account become a subscriber just so you can read an article OK. Right. And so today you ignore it. And, and so the question is, is, in the future, in the world of created content, is there going to be room for true microtransactions? Interesting. Right. And so what's the service model for paying five cents for a geolocation test? Mm-hmm. Looking today, you look at your visa bill and you can't figure out what the subscription is that you paid for right? It says a dollar. Great. And then you have to Google the stupid tagline to figure out whose dollar you're spending to. We need a better model for the internet. What's cool about crypto is when I spend two cents, I also bound an identity and a private key to the service. And so when I spend two cents a year later, I can prove I'm the same person.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's a- so, th- so this, this actually touched on a really interesting point because I know there's a lot of people that believe that the internet itself, the internet itself is run under central authorities, i.e. everyone goes back to the same anchor points within the internet and that uh, kind of content management, content projection is becoming far more, far more improved and soon you uh, the way that someone described it to me soon you'll be able to cross the internet at the lowest level of content that you need to but in order to do that yeah. you're going to need a transaction layer to hop from one thing to the other and the right. transaction engine at the moment doesn't exist because we never did e-commerce yeah because we're going to actually
0: have to make it safe because if i make it possible for your bot to stop by and ask for
2: money hmm. your android operating system is going to give it up every single time but, but, but what is the infrastructure there that's required in order to do that? We think you need proper protection of a private key and the ability to form
0: transactions and a small amount on deposit. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be actually able to do transactions within your device, locally accumulated. The way Rivets is constructed it is it's almost like the idea of a lightning network where we give the device value value. And it checks it in and out of the chain.
1: So the interesting thing here that um, that I quite like actually is, uh, it's a double-edged sword for me. I think that um, like you said you can, if you create almost that financial transaction passport layer, so that you can you can interact with an article um, from the Financial Times, you can download an an app or whatever. You can mm-hmm. you, you can effectively pay for whatever you consume so you're not overpaying you're paying for um, the things that are valuable to you and i think that's not too dissimilar to the concept that brave and the, the basic attention token are, are trying to um, implement and i think that's there's value there but also i think you've got that double-edged sword risk of um, if you don't stay on top of that you may accidentally end up spending an absolute fortune um, in you know you could you could click on 105 cent articles in a day um, or even you know, some kind of spam bot that, that commandeers your your profile in some way and just k- keeps clicking on these things and accruing um, small low value transactions that that you may have pre approved, but go through and um, and add on add on sort of costs and transactions that you wouldn't normally normally have opted into. So there is a double edged sword risk, but um, I do think it's an interesting concept because we're not in that space right now. But yeah, keen to hear your um, thoughts on that.
0: No, I think you're absolutely correct. And it's one of the reasons why I think um, um, we need as much security as possible in order to make this work because we haven't had the right tools to assure that the content we're consuming and the transactions being done are real. And and so, so this brings us the sort of functionality of an Internet's cable box inside our handset that provides the protected delivery of content and services and payment, and yet does it in a manner that is sufficiently secure to enable um, those kind of consumable models. You would never want to hook your phone to an automatic payment system and then put $10,000 on it. That would be foolish. Yep. The idea that, however, you could give your, you know, we, we see this going forward is everything is going to need this right? Yep. Your refrigerator is going to want to be able to buy a water filter and it's going to want to do that automatically. And and so we think these are the starting points of what does a transaction decentralized with policy with proper e-commerce so your keys don't get stolen um, look like. And so everything is going to need a wallet. So yep. crypto is one of the most powerful toys that we're ever going to build. It's going to give the internet its mechanism of payment and and we'll balance but we definitely want automated money in the process
1: and uh, yeah and i guess um and this is something that we haven't got into it's one it's uh, one that we were sketching out for a future session that we we wanted to try and find some somebody to talk to about it but it's more about the future of the internet and a decentralized uh, internet where trust is taken away from third parties but because of the ability for blockchain technology distributed ledger technology to act as that third party um you're still going to need some kind of vibrates in the system so that it doesn't run out of um control um and you know all these things are and devices are connected and self ordering uh, content products services without the approval of the uh, of the end user um because automation is great on one level but there needs to there needs to be human oversight
0: Yes. So, so at the end of the day, our devices, it's about shifting to an identity-based model of computing. And what blockchain provides is that centralized management of identity where the customer is in control, the user owns their core root keys because they just made a wallet. And that wallet helps you to manage your collection of devices. And so fundamentally, as we go forward, all your things should just become friends with each other. It's it's think of it like a Facebook of devices. It's how the consumer will manage their collection of things: their cars, their keys, all their IoT stuff, their different wallets, etc. We need this organization of keys, but the consumer needs the tools to help them to manage this new customer-centric model, identity-centric model to the network going forward.
1: Okay. No, that makes sense and um, yeah, and it's and, and it's interesting because that that infrastructure and, and those keys those services um, and you know those those systems just aren't there yet they're emerging they're nascent and there's some test beds out there but they're not really um, they've, they've not been deployed on mass yet so um, it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple of years pan out in that space um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, um, which is uh, slightly related to that, is your recent partnerships. So, um, so actually, let's just let's just wind. Before we do that, let's wind the clock back. So last year, you uh, ran an ICO for Rivets. You had your your fundraising. Um, and, you know, it's been a it's been a tough um, it's been a tough year regarding uh, crypto and the investment and uh, all of the capital available in there. How has that affected uh, Rivets as a company and your uh, roadmap and development? Because a um, nice segue from there, I wanted to get into the Telefonica partnership. Um, so, yeah, what's the what's the last year of your journey been like?
0: Sure. So it's been an interesting process. Um, like you said, we uh, completed uh, an ICO back in the summer of 2017. We were one of the very early ones. Um, we successfully um, funded, um, you know, our, our project from a pre-sales perspective. So there are today um, thousands of people who hold Rivets tokens, and those tokens today can be used to sign up and become a service provider. Um, and very soon they'll be used to fund devices um, Uh, that are deployed in the network. And and as part of that, we were able to build a relationship with Telefonica over the last year. They're the fourth largest carrier in the world. And what we've been doing is a joint development project to do the first dual root of trust devices. And so we'll show them in a few weeks at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. But this is where we're splitting your private key between the trusted execution environment the chips in your actual manufactured device, and then also providing protection of the private key with the SIM module in your handset. And what this provides us is two different supply chains, two different um, paths to protecting the key, so that if one of the pieces of infrastructure makes a mistake, let's say Samsung loses your keys, you don't actually lose your keys because they're also protected by the carrier infrastructure and vice versa is true. And what's important in this is it also removes control, either from the manufacturer or from the carrier. Again, the owner is in control of their keys. So we think multiple routes of trust are, think of it like running a treasure and a ledger together um, to protect your key. You're not relying on any one infrastructure, you're actually relying on both. And And so we're excited to go down that path. We're looking to ultimately offer this technology to their 350 million subscribers on their network. We think this is how mass-market hardware crypto gets built into every phone. In the end, mobile devices operate chains. We have to have a hardware wallet at the endpoint of everything. Whether it's your phone, your refrigerator, your car, everything's going to need a hardware wallet.
1: So you're so you're integrating directly with the carrier uh, rather than uh, just having a standalone app that consumers could download.
0: Um, no, it'll be a standalone app that the consumer downloads. Okay. It will be basically invisible. What we do is, at first, we use the trusted execution in, in your phone. So we, you download an app like a normal app, like a normal wallet app, except then behind the scenes, there's a second app that's downloaded into the chipset of your phone, which provides the protection of the private key in the hardware of your handset in what's called a secure enclave or a trusted execution environment. and. And because there is always the risk if you have a single manufacturer building that, what we've done is we've added a second layer of protection by writing an app that runs in the SIM chip. The carrier pushes that out across their network to all of their SIMs. That's the little chip that you plug in your phone, it's your subscriber module. And that SIM chip then also encrypts your private key. And so now you have two separate devices, two separate supply chains, assuring that if you lose your phone, you're never going to lose your keys. Okay, excellent. And your,
1: i read another article recently that you've also done um, or embarked on a partnership with uh, WanChain. WanChain was one of the biggest and most hyped uh, sort of projects of 2018 or 20 end of 2017, 2018. Um, how does that fit into the ecosystem?
0: Because you, so it's a great partnership for us what you want to do is build the security directly into the apps. So so at the end of the day, somebody builds a really cool um, distributed app, whatever it happens to do, from playing video games to productivity to moving money around, right? Um, You don't have to have to get your Trezor out to operate your DAP, right? You just want it to work on your phone like normal things work on your phone. And so what we're doing is providing a full hardware wallet capability that Wanchain is incorporating into their wallet infrastructure. So now any of the Wanchain dApps can just have a wallet built into their application. We think that's really the model going forward is your mobile phone is what you use to operate all these services. Mobile operates chains. And, and so ultimately, you know, whether it's a distributed exchange or um, you know, what, what, what Wanchain is doing in, in their models, what eos is doing ultimately we expect to support those protocols within the rivets hardware capability in the handsets and this is something that can be provisioned over the air so today a billion and a half android handsets have been enabled with the capability that we use to support deploying the hardware security um really the software to turn on the hardware security that's in your device yeah. so the market's big enough and interesting enough to start to play and we'll see Ultimately, you want the security just built in.
1: Yeah, yeah. Plug and play, I think, is, is one of the biggest um, uh, advantages. If if you if we can crack that and, and improve the UX over the over the next couple of years, I think that will help with adoption. Speaking
0: of adoption, so we have an example. We have an example of that. In 1998, Microsoft decided to put multimedia as a standard capability in new computers. Okay, and what stopped? was a multimedia industry where you had to get your screwdriver out and put a sound card in the computer. And so we went from a world where only geeks should apply, but you could make audio play on your computer to one where grandma all of a sudden has a laptop that plays MP3 files. It's fantastic, right? And the rest is history. Blockchain needs to be built in. Blockchain is closer to multimedia and its deployment architecture than it is to just purely internet. Because internet didn't really require ever any hardware. Do you think um, Do you think that
1: we will see um, distributed ledger technology embedded and built into existing um, companies and see them challenge some of the the uh, sorry existing companies, or do you think we will see uh, new companies emerge that will challenge the nas- uh, the incumbent providers?
0: I think we're going to build sectors. it into everything. I think it's going to touch all sectors. Okay. The, the, the models here are very powerful. We have not had e-commerce yet. There is no subscriber yet on the internet. These are the technologies to enable the subscriber. Identity, payment, non-repudiation of data, the ability for the consumer to have their own big data and not just everybody else. These are the foundations of how we build the subscriber-based web. So that we can connect those who create to those who consume and create an economic model that's just not voyeurism as the only mechanism yeah
1: i completely agree um and it's going to be a fascinating uh, journey to see how it all pans out um on that note we are roughly about of uh, out of time um there's a couple of three final questions i had for you um what does the next six to 12 months have in store for yourself and for rivets as a company
0: it's all about deployment for us. We just shipped our two-factor authentication. Anybody who has an Exchange account and an Android phone that supports Rivets should play with it and, and use it to replace their Google Authenticator. It's a, it's a safer and more secure mechanism than Authenticator. Um, and, and so it's really all about um, putting technology in people's hands and demonstrating use.
1: And... You seem to know quite a lot about the blockchain distributed ledger space, um, Stephen. This is something that we ask to all of our guests. Are you Satoshi Nakamoto?
0: Uh, no. <laughs> okay. And you wouldn't tell us even if but, you were. But I was. But I was doing microtransactions and digital cash in the mid 1990s. So there, there are a few old classic crusty characters that that were playing around in this space, and and so it's great fun to see the advancements that have been made.
1: Excellent. And um, final question. It wouldn't be Crypto and Grill podcast without asking, um, Stephen, if we were to hold the World Crypto Conference or Blockchain uh, Global Summit at your house and we all descended upon you with our cartoon avatars and all kinds of um, Lamborghinis, what would you put on the grill or the barbecue uh, to keep everybody um, everybody fed and um, and less salty than they are on crypto Twitter? Oh,
0: That's super easy. So First off, you have to cook a nice Two and a half inch thick porterhouse steak because that's nicely impressive and and more than happy to make dinner for over 100 people sit down not a problem i'm happy to cook
1: excellent well i think there's less than 100 people on crypto twitter and i think everybody's <laughs> been absolutely destroyed over the last year so uh, i think it's just me and my oh, five no, alternative it... accounts but, um...
0: absolutely bring them on.
1: Fantastic. Well, look, uh, Stephen, this has been a really fantastic uh, conversation. Is there anything that uh, any points of view or anything that you want to add before uh, before we close today?
0: No, thank you, everybody, for your time. And and I would just say that um, we we fully believe in the future of uh, of a token based, um, especially utility token based model where the Internet has money and identity that's built in. And 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 it's all about putting the consumer at the center of the picture. The consumer, after all, the owner of the private key is what operates all blockchains.
1: Excellent. Stephen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance.